volume one chapters twelve and thirteen of a strange world by mary elizabeth braddon this librivox recording is in the public domain twelve brave spirits are a balsam to themselves maurice clissold also looked at the girl as she stood up at the end of the table in the little bit of clear space left for the witnesses a shaft of sunshine slanted from the skylight the room was built out from the house and lighted from the top an apartment usually devoted to masonic meetings and public dinners in that clear radiance the girl's face was wondrously spiritualized easy to fancy that some being not quite of this common earth stood there and that from those pale lips the awful truth would speak as if by the voice of revelation so maurice clissold thought as he looked at her never till this moment had she appeared to him beautiful and now it was no common beauty which he beheld in her but a strange and spiritual charm impossible of definition you were the last person who saw mr penwin alive except his murderer said mr pergament interrogatively after the usual formula had been gone through i opened the door for him when he went out after supper at what o'clock half-past two was he perfectly sober at that time oh yes with an indignant look was he going back to the waterfowl alone quite alone did he say anything particular to you just at last anything that it might be important for us to know a faint colour flushed the pale face at the question nothing is that all you can tell us there is only one thing more the girl answered calmly i stood at the door a few minutes to watch mr penwin walking up the street and just as he turned the corner a man passed on the opposite side of the way in the same direction towards lowgate yes what kind of a man he was rather tall and wore an overcoat and a thick scarf around his neck as if it had been winter did you see his face no or notice anything else about him anything besides the overcoat and the muffler nothing you say he was tall was he as tall as that gentleman do you suppose stand up for a moment if you please mr clissold clissold stood up he was above the average height of tall men well over six feet no he was not so tall as that are you sure of that a man would look taller in this room than in the street do you allow for that difference inquired mr pergament i do not believe that the man i saw that night was so tall as mr clissold nor so broad across the shoulders that will do the chief constable next gave evidence as to the finding of the body the watch buried in the ditch the empty purse then came the landlady of the waterfowl with an account of the high words between the two gentlemen and mr clissold's abrupt departure on the following morning the spinnersbury detectives followed and described mr clissold's arrest the tracing of footsteps behind the hedge and down to the towpath and how they had compared mr clissold's boot with the footprints without being able to arrive at any positive conclusion it might very easily be the print of the same foot in a different boot said higlet it isn't so much the difference between the size of the feet as the shape and cut of the boot the man must have been tall the length of his stride shows that there was no further evidence the coroner addressed the jury after a few minutes consultation they returned their verdict that the deceased had been murdered by some person or persons unknown 
thus maurice clissold found himself a free man again but with the uncomfortable feeling of having been for a few days supposed the murderer of his bosom friend it seemed to him that a stigma would attach to his name henceforward he would be spoken of as the man who had been suspected and who was in all probability guilty but who had been let slip because the chain of evidence was not quite strong enough to hang him i suppose if i had been tried in scotland the verdict would have been non-proven he thought one only means of self-justification remained open to him to find the real murderer he fancied that higlet and smelt looked at him with unfriendly eyes they were aggravated by the loss of the reward they would turn their attention in a new direction no doubt but considerable time had been lost while they were on the wrong scent maurice clissold could not quite make up his mind about those bohemians of the ebersham theatre whether this vagabond heavy father might not know something more than he cared to reveal about james penwin's fate he had given his evidence with a sufficiently straightforward air and the girl was above doubt truth was stamped on the pale sorrowful face truth and a silent grief could that grief have its root in some fatal secret did she know her father guilty of this crime and shield him with heroic falsehoods only less sublime than truth she stood by her father's side a little way apart from the crowd as she had stood throughout the inquiry intently watchful while maurice lingered debating whether he should follow up the strolling players churchill penwin came straight across the room towards him before the undispersed assembly i congratulate you on your release mr clissold he said offering his hand with a friendly air and permit me to assure you that i for one have been fully assured of your innocence throughout this melancholy business i thank you for doing me justice mr penwin i was very fond of your cousin i liked him as well as if he had been my brother and if the question had been put to me whether harm should come to him or me i believe i should have chosen the evil lot for myself his mother was a second mother to me god bless her she asked me to take care of him a few hours before her death and i felt from that time as if i were responsible for his future he was little more than a boy when his poor mother died he was little more than a boy the last time i saw him alive the night we had our first quarrel what was the quarrel about mr clissold shrugged his shoulders and glanced round the room which was clearing by degrees but not yet empty it's too long a story to enter upon here he said come and dine with me at the castle at eight o'clock and tell me all about it said churchill you're very good no i can't manage that i have something to do what is that to begin a business day that may take a long time to finish may i ask the nature of that business i want to find james penwin's murderer churchill shrugged his shoulders and smiled a half-compassionate smile my dear sir he said do you think that the murderers ever found in such a case as this given a delay of three days and nights ample time for him to ship himself for any port in the known world a low clod-hopping assassin no doubt in no way distinguishable from other clod-hoppers find him did you say i can conceive no endeavour more hopeless it is the fashion to rail at our police because they find it a little difficult to put their hands upon every delinquent who may be wanted but it is hardly the simplest business in the world to pick the right man out of ten or fifteen millions maurice clissold heard him with a troubled look and a short impatient sigh i dare say you are right he said 
but i shall do my best to unravel the mystery even if i am doomed to fail he asked some questions about his friend's funeral it was to be at three o'clock on the following day and churchill was going back to london by an early train in order to attend as chief mourner i shall be there said maurice clissold and they parted with a friendly handshake clissold was touched by mr penwin's friendliness that stigma of non-proven had not affected churchill's opinion at any rate he followed matthew elgood and his daughter into the street and joined them as they walked slowly homeward the girl's face half hidden by her veil i want to have a talk with you mr elgood if you've no objection said maurice unless you consider me tainted by the suspicion that has hung over me for the last three days and object to hold any intercourse with me no sir i suspect no man answered the actor with dignity although you were pleased to object to your lamented friend's inclination for my society i bear no malice and i do you the justice to believe you had no part in his untimely end i thank you mr elgood for your confidence since i have been in that abominable jail i feel as if there were some odour of felony hanging about me with regard to the objections of which you speak i can assure you that they were founded upon no personal dislike but upon prudential reasons which i need not enlarge upon enough mr clissold it boots not now if you will follow to our humble abode and share the meal our modest means provide i will enlighten you upon this theme so far as my scant knowledge serve withal said the actor unconsciously lapsing into blank verse maurice accepted the invitation he had a curious desire to see more of that girl whose pale face had assumed a kind of sublimity just now in the crowded court could she really have cared for his murdered friend she who had but known him two days or was there some dark secret which moved her thus deeply the man seemed frank and open enough hard to believe that villainy lurked beneath the bohemian's rough kindliness they went straight to the lodging in the narrow street leading down to the river here all seemed comfortable enough the evening meal half tea half dinner was ready laid when mr elgood and his visitor went in and mr and mrs dempson were waiting with some impatience for their refreshment they looked somewhat surprised at the appearance of clissold and mrs dempson returned his greeting with a certain stiffness it isn't the pleasantest thing in the world to sit down to table with a suspected murderer she remarked afterwards to which justina replied with a sudden flash of anger do you suppose i would sit in the same room with him if i thought him guilty the low comedian took things more easily than his wife well matt he said i thought you were never coming i've been down at the arms and heard the inquest glad to see you at liberty again mr clissold a most preposterous business your arrest i heard all the evidence i think those spinnersbury detectives ought to get it hot i dare say the press will slang em pretty tolerably well done judy he went on with a friendly slap on justina's shoulder you spoke up like a good one if you spoke as well as that on the stage you'd soon be fit for the juvenile lead justina spoke no word but took her place quietly at the table where mrs dempson was pouring out the tea while mr elgood dispensed a juicy rump-steak i went to the butcher's for it myself he said there's nothing like personal influence in these things they wouldn't dare give me a slice of some superannuated cow they know when they've got to deal with a judge that's beef said the butcher as he slapped his knife across the loin and beef it is do you like it with the gravy in it mr clissold 
there was a dish of steaming potatoes and a bowl of lettuces which greenstuff mrs dempson champed as industrially as if she had been a blood relation of nebuchadnezzar's never had maurice clissold seen any one so silent or so self-sustained as this pale thin shadowy-looking girl whom her friends called judy she interested him strangely and he did sorry justice to mr elgood's ideal stake while watching her she herself hardly ate anything but the others were too deeply absorbed in their own meal to be concerned about her she sat by her father and drank a little tea sat motionless for the most part with her dark thoughtful eyes looking far away looking into some world that was not for the rest so soon as the pangs of hunger were appeased and the pleasures of the table in some measure exhausted mr elgood became loquacious again he gave a detailed description of that last day on the race-course the supper all that james penwin had said or done within his knowledge and then came a discussion as to who could have done the deed he was in the theatre all the evening you say said maurice is it possible that any of the scene-shifters or workmen of any kind may have observed him seen him open a well-filled purse perhaps and followed him after he left this house it was one of his foolish habits to carry too much money about him from twenty to fifty pounds for instance he used to say it was a bore to sit down and write a cheque for every trifle he wanted and of course in our travels ready money was a necessity could it have been one of your people do you think no sir replied mr elgood the stage has contributed nothing to the records of crime from the highest genius who has ever adorned the drama to the lowest functionary employed in the working of its machinery there has been no such thing as a felon i am glad to hear you say so mr elgood yet it is clear to me that this crime must have been committed by someone who watched and followed my poor friend someone who knew enough of him to know that he had money about him i grant you sir replied the actor it was now time for these thespians to repair to the theatre all but justina who for a wonder was not in the first piece maurice took notice of this fact and after walking to the theatre with mr elgood went back to that gentleman's lodgings to have a few words alone with his daughter he passed through the shop unchallenged visitors for the lodgers being accustomed to pass in and out in a free and easy manner he went quietly upstairs the sitting-room door stood ajar he pushed it open and went in thirteen my love my love and no love for me justina was leaning before an old easy-chair her face buried in the faded chintz cushion sobbing vehemently curiously changed from the silent impassable thing maurice had taken leave of ten minutes earlier the sight of her sorrow touched him whatever it meant this was real grief at any rate forgive me for this intrusion miss elgood he said gently remaining near the door lest he should startle her by his abrupt approach i am very anxious to talk to you alone and ventured to return she started up hastily wiping away her tears i am sorry to see you in such deep grief he said you must have a tender heart to feel my poor friend's sad fate so acutely the pallid face crimsoned as if this had been a reproof i have no right to be so sorry i dare say faltered justina but he was very kind to me kinder than any one ever was before and it is hard that he should be taken away so cruelly just when life seemed to be all new and different because of his goodness poor child you must have a grateful nature i am grateful to him 
i can understand that just at first you may feel his death as if it were a personal loss but that cannot last long you had known him so short a time granted that he admired you and paid you pretty compliments and attentions which may be new to one so young if he had lived to bid you good-bye to-morrow and pass on his way you would hardly have remembered him a week i should have remembered him all my life said justina firmly he had made a deep impression upon your mind or your fancy then in those two days he loved me the girl answered with a little burst of passion and i gave him back love for love with all my heart with all my strength as they tell us we ought to love god why do you come here to torment me about him you cannot bring him back to life god will not i would spend all my life upon my knees if he could be raised up again like lazarus i meant never to have spoken of this i have kept it even from my father he told me that he loved me and that i was to be his wife and that all our lives to come were to be spent together think what it is to have been so happy and to have lost all poor child repeated clissold laying his hand gently as priest or father might have laid it on the soft brown hair thrust back in a tangled mass from the hot brow poor children children both it would have been a foolish marriage at best my dear girl if he had lived and kept in the same mind unequal marriages bring remorse and misery for the most part james penwin was not a hard-working wayfarer like me who may choose my wife at any turn on the world's high road he was the owner of a good old estate and the happiness of his future depended on his making a suitable marriage his wife must have been somebody before she was his wife she must have had her own race to refer to something to boast of on her own side so that when their children grew up they should be able to give a satisfactory account of their maternal uncles and aunts i dare say you think me worldly-minded poor child but i am only worldly-wise if it were a question of personal merit you might have made the best of wives the girl heard this long speech with an absent air her tearful eyes fixed on vacancy her restless hands clasped tightly as if she would fain have restrained her grief by that muscular grip i don't know whether it was wise or foolish she said but i know we loved each other i loved him too justina said maurice using her christian name involuntarily she was not the kind of person to be called miss elgood as well as one man can love another i take his death quietly enough you see but i would give ten years of my life to find his murderer i would give all my life said justina with a look that made him think she would verily have done it you know nothing more than you told at the inquest this afternoon nothing that could throw any light upon his death nothing you ought to know much more about it than i how so you know all that went before that time his circumstances his associates i have lain awake thinking of this thing from night till morning until i believe that every idea that could be thought about it has come into my head there must have been some motive for his murder the motive seems obvious enough highway robbery yet his watch was found in the ditch his murderer may naturally have feared to take anything likely to lead to detection his money was taken yes it may have been for that yet it seems strange that he should have been chosen out of so many that he should have been the only victim murdered for the sake of a few pounds unhappily sordid as the motive is that is a common kind of murder replied maurice 
but might not some one have a stronger motive than that i can imagine none james never in his life made an enemy are you quite sure of that as sure as i can be of anything about a young man whom i knew as well as if he had been my brother replied maurice wondering at the girl's calm clear tone at this moment she seemed older than her years his equal or more than his equal in shrewdness and judgment is there any one who would be a gainer by his death naturally the next heir to the penwin estate is a very considerable gainer for him james penwin's death means the difference between a hard-working life like mine and a splendid future could he have anything to do with the crime he churchill penwin well no it would be about as hard to suspect him as it was to suspect me churchill penwin is a gentleman and i conclude a man of honour his conduct towards me to-day showed him a man of kind feeling no i suppose gentlemen do not commit such crimes mused justina and we shall never know who killed him that seems hardest of all that bright young life taken and the wretch who took it left to go free tears filled her eyes as she turned away from clissold ashamed of her grief tears which should have been shed in secret but which she could not keep back when she thought of her young lover's doom clissold tried to soothe her assured her of his friendship his help should she ever need it i shall always be interested in you he said i shall think of you as my poor lad's first and last love he had had his foolish boyish flirtations before but i have reason to know that he never asked any other woman to be his wife and he was too staunch and true to make such an offer unless he meant it justina gave him a grateful look it was the first time he had seen her face light up with anything like pleasure that day you do believe that he loved me then she exclaimed eagerly it was not all my own foolish dream he was not the next words came slowly as if it hurt her to speak them amusing himself at my expense i have no doubt of his truth i never knew him to tell a lie i do not say that his fancy would have lasted it may have been too ardent too sudden to stand wear and tear but be assured for the moment he was true would have wrecked his life perhaps to keep true to the love of a day this time the girl looked at him angrily why do you tell me he must have changed if god had spared him she added why do you find it so hard to imagine that he might have gone on loving me am i so degraded a creature in your eyes i am quite ready to believe that you are a very noble girl answered maurice worthy a better lover than my poor friend but you are miss elgood of the theatre royal ebersham and he was squire penwin of penwin time would not have changed those two facts and might have altered his way of looking at them don't tell me that he would have changed she cried passionately let me think that i have lost all love happiness home wealth all that any woman ever hoped to win it cannot add to my grief for him it would not take away from my love for him even to know that he was fickle and would have grown tired of me those two days were the only happy days of my life they will dwell in my mind for ever a changeless memory i shall never see the sunshine without thinking how it shone upon us two on ebersham racecourse i shall never see the moonlight without remembering how we two sat side by side watching the willow branches dipping into the river a childish love thought maurice a young heart's first fancy a fabric that would wear out in six months or so 
happy days will come again he said gently you will go on acting and succeed in your profession you are just the kind of girl to whom genius will come in a flash like inspiration you will succeed and be famous by and by and look back with a sad pitying smile at james penswin's love and say to yourself with a half-regretful sigh that was youth you will be loved some day by a man who will prove to you that true love is not the growth of a few summer hours i should like to be famous some day the girl answered proudly just to show you that i might have been worthy of your friend's love i fear i have offended you by my plain speaking miss elgood returned maurice but if ever you need a friend and will honour me with your confidence you shall not find me unworthy of your trust i have not a very important position in the world but i am a gentleman by birth and education and not wanting in some of those commonplace qualities which help a man on the road of life such as patience and perseverance industry and strength of purpose i have chosen literature as my profession for that calling gives me the privilege i should be least inclined to forego liberty my income is happily just large enough to make me independent of earning so that i can afford to write as the birds sing without cutting my coat according to any other man's cloth if ever you and your father are in london miss elgood and inclined to test my sincerity you may find me at this address he gave justina his card mr maurice clissold hogarth place bloomsbury not a fashionable locality by any means he said but central and near the british museum where i generally spend my mornings when i am in london justina took the card listlessly enough not as if she had any intention of taxing mr clissold's friendship in the future he saw how far her thoughts were from him and from all common things she rose with a startled look as the cathedral clock chimed the three-quarters after seven i shall be late for the piece she exclaimed with alarm i forget everything it is my fault for detaining you said maurice concerned to see her look of distress let me walk to the theatre with you but i've some things to carry she answered hurriedly rolling up some finery which had bestrewed a side table veil shoes ribbons feathers a dilapidated fan i am not afraid of carrying a parcel they went out together justina breathless and hurried to the stage door maurice penetrated some dark passages and stumbled up some breakneck stairs in his anxiety to learn if his companion were really late the band was grinding away at an overture the second piece had not begun is it all right asked maurice just as the light figure that had sped on before him was disappearing behind a dusky door yes cried justina i don't go on till the second scene i shall have just time to dress so mr glissold groped his way to the outer air relieved in mind it was a still summer evening and this part of the city had a quiet forgotten air as of a spot from which busy life had drifted away the theatre did not create any circle of animation and bustle in these degenerate days and seen from the outside might have been mistaken for a chapel there were a few small boys hanging about near the stage door as mr clissold emerged and these he perceived looked at him with interest and spoke to one another about him he was evidently known even to these street boys as the man who had been suspected of his friend's murder he walked round to the quiet little square in front of the theatre lighted his pipe and took a turn up and down the empty pavement meditating what he should do with himself for the rest of the evening last night he had slept placidly enough in the medieval jail worn out with the saddest thoughts 
to-night there was nothing for him to do but go back to the waterfowl where the rooms would seem haunted put his few belongings together and get ready for going back to london his holiday was over and how sad the end he had been very fond of james penwin only now when they two were parted for ever did he know how strong that attachment had been the bright young face the fresh gay voice all gone i am not quick at making friendships thought maurice i feel as if his death had left me alone in the world his life had been unusually lonely save for this one strong friendship he had lost his father in childhood and his mother a few years later happily captain clissold although a younger son had inherited a small estate in devonshire from his mother this gave his orphan son four hundred a year an income which permitted his education at eton and oxford and which made him thoroughly independent as a young man to whom the idea of matrimony and its obligations seemed far off his uncle sir henry clissold was a gentleman of some standing in the political world a county member a man who was chairman of innumerable committees and never had a leisure moment this gentleman's ideas of the fitness of things were outraged by his nephew's refusal to adopt any profession i could have pushed you forward in almost any career you had chosen he said indignantly i have friends i can command in all the professions or if you had cared to go to india you might have been a judge in the stutter before you were five-and-thirty thanks my dear uncle i shouldn't care about being broiled alive or having to learn from twenty to thirty dialects before i could understand plaintiff or defendant maurice replied coolly give me my crust of bread and liberty fortunate for you that you have your crust of bread growled sir henry but at the rate you are going you will never provide yourself with a slice of world cheese to-night perhaps for the first time maurice clissold felt that life was a mistake his friend and comrade had been more necessary to him than he could have believed for he had never quite accepted james as his equal in intellect he had had his own world of thought which the careless lad never entered but now that the boy was gone he felt that shadowy world darkened by his loss would to heaven i could stand face to face with his murderer he said to himself one of us two should go down never to rise again End of volume one chapters twelve and thirteen